the warm welcome. It's lovely to be with you once again, and we pray indeed that as we come around God's Word, that we'll know His Spirit leading us and guiding us in His truth. Well, friends, we're here to worship God. Let us do so by singing to His praise from Psalm 145. This is the Sing Psalms version of Psalm 145. It's on page 189 of the Blue Psalm books. Reading at the beginning of the psalm. I will exalt you, O my God and King, forever I will praise your holy name. I will extol your name forevermore. Day after day your praise I will proclaim. Great is the Lord, most worthy of all praise. His greatness none can search or comprehend. Each generation will recount your deeds. And to the next, your mighty acts commend. We're going to stand to sing verses 1 to 9 to God's praise. I will exalt you, O my God and King.
Let's unite our hearts in prayer. Let us pray. Gracious and ever-blessed God, we come and we seek to praise and to thank you this day for your goodness great, that you are a God who is blessing us as a people day by day, a God whose mercies know no bounds. And as we come before you this day, we Seek that by your Spirit we might know something of what it is to worship your holy name. That our hearts would be humbled before you. And that we would have that desire to see something of the beauty of your holiness. In and through the lattice of your word. You are worthy of praise. You are worthy of adoration. But yet we acknowledge, O Lord, this day that there is nothing that we can say or do that can add to the glory of who you are. For you are an infinitely glorious God, one who is unchangeable in his being. But yet we pray that in response to who you are, we might all the more be found as a people who desire in the depths of our heart to Lift your name on high, that we would not sit above your word, that we would not have a critical spirit over your word, but rather that we would sit under it and hear what God the Lord will speak. For to his folk, he speaks peace. And how we need that peace as we look around the world that we find ourselves in, A world that promises peace, peace, where there is no peace. Death and destruction in all around we see. And yet we thank you, O Lord, that you provide for us, even this day, even in this very act of worship, as we unite together, we pray, with one desire. We thank you that we can find peace and comfort and safety under the shadow of of your wings. And so we pray, O Lord, that as we come together today, that we might be mindful of every rich blessing that is ours in Christ, not least the freedom that we have to gather in a manner such as this. We're reminded of our brethren in all corners of the world who at this time are unable to come and publicly worship your name for fear of life, for fear of persecution. They cannot come and enjoy this rich blessing that is ours. We pray for the persecuted church. We pray for the church, your church, in war-torn parts of our world at this time. Those who do not know what a, a day nor an hour is going to be theirs in their experience. Be with them, we pray. Surround them with your covenantal love. So that even as the props of life are taken down one by one around them, that they would be so mindful of the Spirit of the Lord, bearing witness to their spirit, that they are indeed children of God. And what a blessing it is to be numbered amongst your children, to have 
that spirit of adoption whereby we can cry, Abba, Father. The most intimate cry from a child to his father. A cry that speaks of a covenantal love that has been ours in Christ, if we are yours today, from the endless ages of eternity. What a wonder this is. What a blessing is ours if today we can say we are in Christ. And if there are any here today who are yet to come to taste, to see that you are good to know something of the sweetness of your salvation, that even today by your Holy Spirit, that you might be pleased to meet them at their very point of need, that you would convict, convince and convert them, bring them to that place where they cannot but cry out, Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner. And we thank you that although our sins they are many, your mercy is more. We pray for this dear congregation that you would be with them, that you would strengthen them, that you would lead them and guide them, especially during this time of vacancy, as perhaps no doubt they look to the future with a degree of uncertainty. We thank you, O Lord, that indeed our times are in your hands that you are the God who knows the end from the beginning, the beginning from the end, and that you have a man of your choosing marked out as a shepherd for this dear flock. And we pray, O Lord, that indeed they would come to see this in your own good time, so that together as pastor and congregation, when that time comes, they can go forth together and share in the greatest of privileges, to be servants of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, proclaiming the wonders of the kingdom in the darkness of this world. And so we pray for this community. We pray for the many dear souls who are strangers to grace and to God, who know not their danger, feel not their load, who are quite happy to drink from the stagnant pools of this world as we once were ourselves. We pray for an outpouring of your spirit even in a day of revival and renewal so that this congregation here can be as a beacon of light in this community and that many more men and women, boys and girls would come and drink freely from the water of life. We pray then that you would be with our young folk here. We give thanks for them. We pray that your Holy Spirit would touch them in their young and tender years, that they too would know something of the wonder of what it is to call you father and friend, that they might grow up in this world as trophies of your grace, used mightily for the furtherance of your gospel, here in this congregation or one like it, that they might go out with a boldness that is not their own, a boldness that speaks of eternal life, in Christ Jesus. Go with us then, we ask and forgive us for all our many sins, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's lovely to see young folk with us today. It's good to be with you. And I've just got a wee story for you today. And the story's about, maybe you've heard the story before, but the story's about a man called Charles Blondin. Have you ever heard of Charles Blondin? 
That's good. I'm glad you haven't. So you don't know the story. Well, Charles Blondin was a man who became famous a long, long, long time ago. A hundred and fifty years ago. And he became famous for being the greatest tightrope walker in the whole world. Now, what's a tightrope? Well, I want you to imagine, I don't know if you have a washing line at home. And a washing line has two poles and it has a line in between. Now, a tightrope is a line that goes from one place to the next and a person walks on that tightrope. Imagine walking on your washing line. Don't try this at home. Do you think you could do it? You don't know? Maybe. Maybe with your wee feet you're in with a chance, but I certainly couldn't do it. Now, this man was famous because he walked on a tightrope over the greatest waterfall in the whole world, the Niagara Falls. Anyone know where the Niagara Falls are? Testing your geography now. Anyone know? Any idea? No? They're in Canada. Niagara Falls are in Canada. And this man, Charles Blondin, in uh, 1859, June the 30th, he attracted 25,000 people around the Niagara Falls to come and watch him walking from one side to the other, bearing in mind that there was nothing underneath him but raging torrents of water. He's going to walk from one side to the other on nothing more than a tightrope. So the, off he went. And of course he balanced one foot in front of the next, in front of the next, balancing as carefully as he possibly could. And you know what? With a lot of concentration, he did it safely. There was no harness, there was no net underneath to catch him if he was to fall. He walked from one side to the other. But he was very daring, this man. And he didn't stop there. Because in the days that follows, what Charles did was he walked across the falls time after time after time. And he didn't just walk, he tried even more daring things. In fact, one day he went across, I don't know how he did this, but this is what I read. He went across in a sack. You know, like you do in a sack race on sports day. He went across in a sack, obviously putting one foot in front of another. And then on another day, he went across on stilts. I don't know if you know what stilts are. They're little platforms that you put your feet on and there's string at the top and you hold the string and you lift the string up as you lift your feet. And that's what he did. He went across on stilts. And then on another day, he went across on a bike. And on another day, he went across blindfolded and so it goes on and so it goes on and so it goes on and one day he turned to the crowd and they were cheering him and egging him on and wanting him to do more daring stuff and one day he turned to the crowd and he said do you believe that I can carry a person across this tightrope in a wheelbarrow and they were all saying, yes, we believe. Do it, do it, do it. They were desperate to see him do this trick. And then he turned to the people and he said, who's going to get in? Silence. Absolute silence. Nobody wanted 
to get in. You see, the people were quite happy to stand back, to watch Blondin do all the daring tricks, but when it came to the crunch, when they were to get involved, they said, no, we don't want to. What's this got to do with Jesus? Well, this is a really good picture of what it is to have faith, or maybe not to have faith in Jesus. Because what it shows us is between us and God. You're on one side, me with you, God is on the other side. There's this big, big chasm, this great gulf, and there's no way we can get to God apart from putting our trust in Jesus. And he's putting his hand out to you today, all of us, young and old, if we're not Christians. He's putting his hand out to us, and he's saying, take my hand, and I will carry you safely. I will take you to God the Father. I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way to the Father except through me. And you know what, boys and girls, mums and dads, even grannies and grandpas, we are scared, just like the man was scared to get into the wheelbarrow and everyone else, we're scared to do that because we don't always trust. But he says, take my hand and I will take you to safety. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, we read in the Bible. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Amen. We pray God will bless these few thoughts to our young friends. Well, we're going to sing once more. We're going to sing from Psalm 63, the Scottish Psalter version, the beginning of the psalm. Psalm 63. Lord, thee, my God, I'll early seek. My soul doth thirst for thee. My flesh longs in a dry parched land wherein no waters be. That I thy power may behold and brightness of thy face as I have seen thee heretofore within thy holy place. Standing to sing verses 1 to 6 if you're able. Lord, thee, my God, I'll early seek.
friends, we're going to turn out to read God's Word together from the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 13. We can read the whole chapter together. Let us hear God's Word. That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and he sowed. Some seeds fell on the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secret of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even when he has, even what he has, rather, will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for, that, as for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. 
As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first, and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Then he left the crowds and went into the house. And his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man <coughs> excuse me <coughs> the Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of the Father. He who has ears, let him hear. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. And so on. Amen. We pray that God will bless to us that reading of his own holy, inspired and inerrant word. 
Well, friends, before we come back to this chapter together, let's sing once more, this time from Psalm 42. Sing Psalm's version of Psalm 42. Reading at the beginning of the psalm, page 53 of the Blue Psalm Books. As pants the deer for flowing streams, so longs my soul, O God, for you. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I meet with God anew? My tears have been my constant food, both in the night and in the day, while all day long insistently, where is this God of yours? They say. We'll stand to sing, if you're able, verses 1 to 5 to God's praise, as pants the deer for flowing streams.
friends, for a short time let's turn back together to the chapter that we read in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 13. And I'd like us to take for our text today the words that we have in verses 45 and 46. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. In Matthew 6.21, we read as part of that great sermon on the mount, Jesus issuing many challenges. And one of the challenges he issues is this. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. And so that whatever it is that you or I, that we most value in this world, that which preoccupies the prominent place in our hearts and our affections, it's that and that alone that informs how we navigate and negotiate our way through this life of ours. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so today, friends, on this fourth day of February 2024, allow me to ask you, and to ask myself also, where is your treasure? Where is your treasure? We're going to consider a parable today that centres on this very subject. We know that parables, of course, were told by Jesus in a way, they were stories that Jesus told in a way that the hearer could relate to. The details in the parables were often ordinary, everyday things that the hearer knew and understood. However, the meanings of the parables, stories with deeper spiritual meanings, were often kept from the hearer, especially those who didn't have spiritual eyes to see. They didn't understand what Jesus was saying, and they were led to ask questions as to what Jesus, Jesus meant. And even, even the disciples themselves often sought that clarification. Now, <clears throat> the parable that we have before us this afternoon, it forms a number of parables. You'll have noticed in that uh, fairly lengthy chapter that we read, it forms a number of parables spoken by Jesus about the kingdom of God or, or what the kingdom of heaven is like. And in verses 44 to 46, we have two particular parables that focus in on the value of, of the kingdom of heaven. We don't have time to look at both these parables today. We're going to just look at one, the parable of the pearl of great value, or traditionally known as the parable of the pearl of great price. And so we read in verse 45, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine Pearls. And so in that very statement, what we get is a glimpse 
into what heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is like. It's a window into heaven. And as we look through this window, what we see are those who are like merchants who have searched for fine pearls. Now, pearls have always had that sense of value. We see that in scripture time and time again. We, we see it even in, in history. The Roman emperor Caligula, his wife, it said, was laden with pearls. She wore them in her hair, on her hands, in her ears, round her neck. So much so that it was said that as she wore all these pearls, she was wearing her inheritance. She was keeping that which was of great value to her close to her And of course throughout scripture we see other references to pearls uh, highlighting their value, the Sermon of the Mount. Uh, Jesus warns his disciples not to throw their pearls before swine. In other words, don't give holy things, don't give good things, don't give things from the Lord to those who you know are just going to trample them underfoot. Well, in Revelation, pearls are symbolically used in order to to illustrate the physical beauty of the kingdom of heaven. We read that the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl. And so this this kingdom of heaven, it's like a merchant who is clearly searching for something of greatest value but what's the meaning what's the point that Jesus is making in this first part of the parable how does this apply to you and to me today well it's true friends is it not that all of us in a very real way we're just like merchants and as merchants what do merchants do they trade As merchants, what you and I do is we trade in the market square of life. And throughout your life and throughout my life, just like this merchant, we've accumulated much, haven't we? We've accumulated many, many pearls. We've hoarded all kinds of pearls in the form of of different experiences, good experiences, in the form of material possessions, that which perhaps we hold great value on, in terms of our relationships, in terms of our our family, maybe in terms of our character, that we show these these pearls of honesty and kindness, that pearl of of loving our neighbour as ourselves. And of course, that's all good. But there's a problem There's a problem with these pearls that we deal in in the market square of life. And the problem is these pearls that I like to call the props of life that we lean upon. These pearls, these props, none of them, not one, can possibly ever hope to get us into the kingdom of heaven. Why? Quite simply, they're counterfeit pearls counterfeit pearls now you have real pearls expensive pearls but you also have counterfeit pearls and counterfeit counterfeit pearls are basically little glass beads and these glass beads these these exist they they they're dipped into a solution that's made from fish scales so i believe 
And at first, these little glass beads that are dipped into fish scales, they look like beautiful pearls, just in the same way that your possessions do, your experiences do, all that you hold tightly and firmly to in this life do. They're that which looks attractive, that which we value. But after a while, what happens is that that thin coating on these beads, it begins to crack begins to, to chip, it begins to fade, and before long, it no longer looks like a pearl. It's lost its beauty. It's lost any perceived value that it originally had. And you know, friends, that's what happens to the pearls that we trade in so much of the time. Those pearls that we give so much of our energy to, so much of our money to in the market square of life, before long they fade and we are left looking just like this merchant for finer pearls. I wonder, friend, if that's you today. I don't know you all that well as a congregation. I can't see into your hearts. But I wonder if you're not a Christian. Is this you? You've got a comfortable life. You've got all the props, you've got all, with all due respect, the counterfeit pearls, as it were, a comfortable life. But deep down within you, you know, maybe that's what's brought you here today. You know that there has to be more to life than this. You know that there is one pearl which, unlike this counterfeit, these counterfeit pearls in your life, unlike all the false promises made to you by the world, and that's what the world does, voices all around making promises. If you do this, if you get that, if you achieve the next thing, your life will be complete. And time and time again, what happens? There's pleasure in these pearls, yes. But you're left looking for more. You're left looking for more. And so you know there's something out there. Something to satisfy the deepest longings of your soul. Maybe, and we pray that it is, that that's why you're here today. But at this point we might ask the question, well, what does the pearl symbolize? What does it mean? What is this pearl that we're talking about? Well, let's think about the statement, the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is like. And this raises a very important question. What makes heaven, heaven? Now, heaven can be characterized in all kinds of ways. We see it, what people's ideas of what heaven might be like are but what is heaven like? Is it a place where there are no more tears, no more suffering? A place where sorrow and sighing flee away? Undoubtedly, all of those things, yes. But heaven is so much more than that. Heaven has to be so much more than that. Let me ask another question. What makes a kingdom a kingdom? The keys in the word. What makes a kingdom? A kingdom is a king. Without a king, there is no kingdom. 
And so what makes the kingdom of heaven heaven is the king of kings himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. And without Jesus being in heaven, heaven wouldn't be heaven at all. In fact, heaven would be hell. Jesus is the pearl of great price. Now some would refute what I'm saying. Some would disagree with what I'm saying. Some would say it's the other way around, that in fact this parable is speaking about a pearl and a merchant and that really the pearl of great price is you and me, that we are the pearls of great price and the merchant is the Lord Jesus Christ. I can't agree with this. And I think we can come to scripture for a reasoning here because the whole point, we always have to look, when we're looking at a parable, we have to look at what the parable means. What is the thrust of a parable? We don't get hung up on all the little details. What is the thrust of the parable? Now this is a parable that speaks of value. The whole point of the the parable is the merchant searching for a pearl of far greater value than all the others. And so if this merchant is Christ, as some might say, what is being said really is that on the seabed of humanity there are some pearls, some people more precious of more value than other pearls which of course flies in the face in the whole, of the whole gospel and the doctrine of unconditional election. What do we read in Ephesians 1.5? He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. His will. Not according to anything he saw in us but according to the purpose of his will. Romans three ten to 12 it refers to who we all are by nature. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God, all have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. So none of us are pearls by nature. None of us have any worth by nature. We're conceived in guiltiness and sin. But Christ has worth, infinite worth infinite value he is the pearl of great price how do you get this pearl well notice notice that the merchant he doesn't set up a shop he doesn't put out an advert if you like asking for pearls to be bought for cash that's not what he does he doesn't wait for people to come to him with these precious pearls he doesn't do that We read that the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search, keyword, in search of fine pearls. And he doesn't give up, not until he's found exactly what he's looking for. And of course Jesus says, seek and you will find. And this is important. Yes, we believe in unconditional election. That's God's side. It's none of our business. But what he tells us to do 
is to seek, to knock, to ask. These are the imperatives. These are the action words that fall on us as our duty and as our responsibility. Seek and you will find an active seeker, a true seeker, doesn't stop, doesn't give up until he or she has found exactly what they're looking for. I wonder, are you a seeker? Would you call yourself a seeker today? I used to call myself a seeker, but I'm not sure that I truly was. Are you really a seeker? Are you seeking after this pearl of great price? Is it so that you cannot bear to think of going forward in this life of yours without Jesus as your Lord and your Saviour? But if that's true, you keep seeking. Don't give up, because I assure you, I promise you, God is a covenant-keeping God, and you will find him. He will find you. Now, it's also interesting to note In terms of detail, because although we're not going to go overboard in terms of the detail of the parable, he does choose to use pearls. And who is it that's created pearls in the first place? The Lord has chosen to use pearls to describe himself. Who's created these pearls? He's created them himself. And as we think about pearls... It's really quite fascinating. It's, it's really quite revealing when we think about how they're formed. Now, nowadays, we, of course, get farmed pearls. But natural pearls, genuine pearls, I believe they're formed when a tiny parasite or a, an irritant works its way into the, the shell of the oyster. What happens is the oyster, it becomes distressed as this irritant uh, comes in uh, beside it. And as a defense mechanism, a fluid is created within the oyster in order to coat the parasite. And over several years, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of layers of this fluid form, and eventually it covers the parasite. So it can no longer be seen. It it no longer has its power to destroy. And of course we see a picture, do we not, of the gospel here. It's true that the parasite of sin has entered into the world and because of this, the pearl of great price, the Lord Jesus Christ, what has he done? He swallowed up sin in victory. He's covered it with layer upon layer of his sacrificial redeeming love. What do we read in 2 Corinthians 5? For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What a picture. And another picture of the pearl is the fact that it's in a shell. And it's no use in a shell, friends, is it, if it's left there. No one can enjoy it. No one can appreciate its worth or its value there in the darkness of that shell. And so it is with the pearl of great price, the Lord Jesus Christ. He died a cursed death. That is true. He took to himself the the punishment that was due to his people. He died for their sins so that you and me with you, if we put our trust in him, we can inherit this self-same kingdom 
of God. And following this, he was cast into the tomb, but he didn't remain there. Just like the pearl, for his death to be of any value, any worth to you and to me, he had to rise again. His grave had to be empty. That's what the Lord's Day is. That's what today is. It's Resurrection Day, the first day of the week. That's why we gather, to be reminded that we worship a God who's alive. A God who's conquered the grave. A God who is risen as he sits at the right hand of the Father making intercession for his people. That's why he's of greater value. I don't know what props, what counterfeit pearls are in your heart, in your life today. We've all had them. But that's why he's of greater value. That's why he's the altogether lovely one. The chiefest among 10,000. The friend that sticks closer than a brother. But is he your friend today? Is he your pearl? Is Jesus precious to you? Can you see his value? The merchant could. And we know that because we read that We read that when he found that one pearl of great price, notice it's one. He'd been looking for many pearls, many different things, but this one pearl satisfied all that he was looking for. One saviour. When he found this one pearl, what did he do? He went and sold all that he had just to buy it. Now what does this mean? Does it mean... That in order to get all, to, to in terms of our salvation, that in order to get this pearl of great price, we need to sell all that we have. That we need to cleanse our life from this, that, and the next thing. Some would believe yes. How often, as a minister, I've I've heard people who wouldn't profess to be the Lord saying to me. I'm not good enough. Even to come to church, I'm not good enough. And of course, there's this this idea in the heart of man that somehow, before God will accept us, we have to clean up our act. We have to be good enough. That's not the gospel. That's not the Bible. That's not the same. That completely undermines, in fact, the work of the cross. And so it doesn't mean salvation by works. We praise God that it doesn't. And of course we have to allow scripture to interpret scripture. Isaiah 55. Come. There's the imperative again. Come everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters. And he who has no money come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk. Without money. And without price. Without price. Ephesians 2, 8-9 By grace you have been saved not through works through faith and this is not your own doing it is the gift of God not as a result of works so that no one might boast how we would boast if it were down to our works look what I did look how long my prayers are look how often I read the Bible Look at this, that, and the next thing. Am and I so good? The heart is deceitful, friends, and we're thankful that it's by grace we are saved. It is 
all of grace, all of Christ. But that still doesn't answer our question, what's he referring to? <clears throat> when he's talking about selling all that he has, getting rid of all that he has, well, let's put it another way. What is it that we find more difficult than anything else to get rid of in terms of not being a Christian? What is it that we really struggle to part with? Surely, surely it's our unbelief. Our unbelief. We might believe in Jesus in our head. Many of you might today know more about the Bible than many as a professing, professing Christian in your head. You might believe in your head, but not in your heart. You might have religion, but not relationship. And there's a, an eternity of difference between the two. We might find it hard to, to give up our own pearls of self-reliance and, and even self-righteousness. We might find it hard to, to cast ourselves fully and freely onto Christ. We don't, as we thought about with our young friends, we don't want to get into the wheelbarrow and trust the Lord Jesus. Why? Because we're scared. There's a fear. A fear of the unknown. I know what it's like. If you're not a Christian today. I've been there. We have questions. What's, what's, what if I can't keep it up? What are my friends going to say? We have question after question after question. We have to forget all that. Trust in the Lord. With all our heart. And lean not in our own understanding. Time is gone. But the title of today's sermon is. A Great Bargain. A great, but you might think it's a strange title, but it's not my title. It's actually the title that Charles Spurgeon gave to this same text when he preached it. A great bargain. And not without good reason. Because, friend, never think that you'll be hard done by if you become a Christian. That's one of the fears, I think. That if we become a Christian, our lives will be over. That somehow our lives will be inferior to the life that we lived before. That's a lie that the devil feeds us time and time again to keep us back. Friends, we're not called to poverty in Christ, but to the greatest of spiritual wealth. God loves to give his kingdom to the spiritually bankrupt. He loves to fill the treasury of your soul and mine with the abundance of his overflowing grace. You might be a Christian here today and you might be thinking, well, this is all good and well, but what does any of this have to say to me? I know the Lord. Why an evangelistic sermon when the majority of us are Christians here today? Well, let's come back to that question for all of us, Christian and non-Christian. Where is your treasure today? We need reminded of the gospel. Where is your treasure? treasure on this day on this month on this year what is it that motivates you as someone who professes to be Christ is it Christ is your treasure found in the pearl we notice in the parable before the parable of the hidden treasure treasure that had been buried and then found friends at times it's true that life takes over 
That's reality. And as life takes over, as situations take over, what can happen, friends? We can bury the pearl. We can bury the pearl. We can bury the treasure. We lose sight of the beauty of Christ. And instead we allow the ugly things of this world to inform our walk and our witness. Friends, let's strive, just like this merchant, whether we're a Christian or not. Every single day we wake on mercy's ground to go after this pearl. That we would see Jesus. So that in the darkness of the world, we would be as living epistles, known and read of man. Time is short, eternity's long, souls perishing around us. Let's show them the good news. Let's be as those who are witnessing of the fact that we were lost, but now we've been found. Let's show forth not the pearls, but the fruit. That's what we read. The fruit of the Spirit. That's the pearls that we're called to show forth. Let's remind ourselves of them. Love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's our mandate. That's our calling. That's our fruit. That's our witness. That's Jesus. The Puritan William Jenkins solemnly said, To forsake Christ for the world is to leave eternity for a moment, reality for a shadow, all things for nothing. All things for nothing. If you're not a Christian today, don't let that be said of you, that you leave all things for nothing. Mark 8, and I am finished with this, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? There's nothing more valuable today than your soul, friend. And I urge you, in love, don't put your trust in counterfeits. Put your trust in Christ, the pearl of great price, while there is still time. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the liberty of the gospel. As we find ourselves entangled in the snares of this world, we can say if we are yours today, if the Son has set us free, we are free indeed. O Lord, we pray that you might by your Spirit enable us to realize afresh the beauty, the value and the worth of the pearl of great price, that we would look to Jesus and that we would be revived in the very core of our being, that we might even, as we've come around your word today, be as the two on the road to Emmaus, did not our hearts burn within us as he talked with us by the way. Be with us, dear congregation, we pray then. Bless your word preached that it might indeed be accompanied powerfully by your Holy Spirit. It's not by might, it's not by power, but by my spirit.
Spirit alone, saith the Lord of hosts, show this to be true, we pray, that even one dear soul would be brought from darkness into your own most marvellous light. Be with us in our final singing. We give thanks for our brother and the gift that you've given to him. Encourage him in his service here also. And all we ask, we ask for the forgiveness of sins. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, we'll conclude singing to God's praise, Psalm 65. Psalm 65 in the Scottish Psalter. Reading at the beginning of the psalm. Praise waits for thee in Zion, Lord, and thee, this is page 297, to thee vows paid shall be. O thou that hearer art of prayer, all flesh shall come to thee. Iniquities, I must confess, prevail against me do. But as for our transgressions, thou purge away shalt thou. We're going to sing verses 1 to the end of the double verse marked 4 to God's praise. Standing if you're able, praise waits for thee in Zion, Lord. Praise waits for thee bless the portions that we're about to enjoy one with another. We give thanks for every temporal blessing that is so freely ours from your hand. Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest on and abide with you now 